0: Yeah, but I, I don't think you should be juggling with knives. Oh, I, j- I only do that when you're around, see, because sometimes I drop them. Ah! We're right to my foot! Ha 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 ha! Hi, this is. Me out. Oh, stop. This is Misty Lee and you're being a wiener. What? It my mind, you my foot! I know! Suck it up and be a man! Suck it up? I've got stigmata there. No, oh, you got stigmata because you're the Jesus? Yeah, well... You certainly well, mark you yourself your enough. Foot. <laughs> or I actually found the stick, Yeah, well, you, you know, it's Mark's off. fault. So, speaking of which, Mark's back. Yes. And oh, yes, yes. he brought a bunch of Charlie Fry stories with him this that's time. That's where we left off last week. Yeah! Charlie Fry stories. So what are you going to tell us? Um, Charlie Fry, for those of you who didn't tune in last week, and, and why didn't you? I know! Is uh, a juggler friend of mine. He's a comedy juggler. He plays Vegas. He plays Tours the World. He's always doing cruise ships. I, and He and his wife uh, Sherry are just wonderful people, and I don't see enough of them. Uh. One time, Charlie, for a while, was playing at the Union Plaza Hotel in downtown Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. The show... I think it was called... Hot Lips. No, it was called um I don't know what it was called. It had a name that made you think you were about to see enormous filth and depravity. And it was it was basically just him juggling and there were six girl dancers who were running around with no clothes on. Perfect. Sounds good and to me. It was done, the show was basically done for tour groups. There was no English spoken during the show. Oh it was a girl singer. She did sing in English, but if you you know you could enjoy it if you didn't speak English. There right. was Charlie whose act is all in mind. And there were these lady, these six ladies dancing with no clothes on. Very, Perfect. Various states of Sounds like a great. Great show. And it was in a theater that was automated. There was no stage crew. There was no it was all on a computer. At um, the show was at 8 o'clock. At 7.15, the lights came on in the show. It was all computerized. The lights came on in the showroom. And music would play, and at 8.02, the lights would dim, and the the music would stop Mm -hmm. playing, and you'd hear a recorded voice welcome you to the show and tell you, you know, no no photography. And now here's the show, and then they start playing the music, and the curtain would come up, and the light cues would come on automatically, and the performers had to be in their spots. Mm -hmm. And and Charlie's music would start at Mm -hmm. 8.14, and then at the end of the show... The, mutant, the curtain would come down, computerized, and the exit music would play. And then, at 15 minutes before the 10 o'clock show, the lights would come up, and it was all computerized. So, the actors just had to, in the performance, had to just get to hit their marks the right spot. Right, right, right. So, Charlie was doing this show, and I went to see it, and I watched, one of them watched the first show from out front, and then I watched the second show from the back, because in the back, I could sit with Charlie when he wasn't on stage and talk Mm -hmm. and in the back you saw the dancers coming off stage naked and taking showers of course yeah so I'm sitting there and in the they brought in they bust in these Japanese tour groups and there is my table there is another table adjoining mine that has six elderly three men and three women Caucasian people who look like tourists from Kansas. Okay. And the rest of the room is full of Japanese people. Okay. Now we got the mental picture. Yes. My table, the other table with Caucasians, a lot of Japanese people. Yes. So, show starts and out come the six girl dancers and they take a few steps and then they start ripping their clothes off. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And I look over and the Six elderly, the, the Japanese people are all entranced with this. Mm-hmm. The six elderly people, five of them are watching and seem to be rather pleased and interested in the show, and one mm-hmm. of them, an old gentleman, is turned away with his head down and is covering his eyes oh, no. not to see the show. Uh-uh. And you think to yourself, didn't he know what kind of show this was? Mm-hmm. It's advertised out front steamy, hot, mm-hmm. sex, the hottest show on, in, in Vegas, mm-hmm. nakedness, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So then Charlie comes out and does his act, and all the six people watch Charlie and enjoy him and applaud him, mm-hmm. and then the girls come out, and the girls are dancing with their clothes on for a bit, and they watch him, and the girls take their clothes off again, and the gentleman, the elderly gentleman, is turned away, head down, covering his eyes, things like this. Mm-hmm. And, Char- and so after the show, I talked to Charlie, and he said, Do you see that old guy out there? She says, Yeah. Don't these people... You get one of those... Don't these people understand what kind of show it is? It says outside, X-rated adults only. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about this. And we we were kind of like mocking this guy a little bit, I guess. Just because he seems so dumb. Four four or five days later, I'm at home. I'm walking down the street, back in LA. I suddenly have a lightning flash. I ran home and I phoned Charlie. I said, Charlie, you and I are really stupid. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling I know where this is going that guy had to be one of the girls fathers daddy yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and Charlie asked that night and sure enough one of the girls and her parents Yeah. Oh. in town that previous week wow yep and things like that mm. so but uh, no Charlie's just this amazing guy who does this act he used to be on the Jerry Lewis Telephone every year and, um, he probably still is, isn't he? No, nobody's on the Jerry Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jerry Lewis isn't on the Jerry Lewis telephone. You guys went telephone? to see Jerry Lewis once. What? You guys went to yeah. see oh, Jerry yes. Lewis? Yes, we told that story. Oh, all <laughs> right. Yes. Well, I, I had nothing. Game. Is there I, still a telephone? I, it, we just passed Labor Day. They had, but they didn't tell me about it. Oh? Um, did we miss Havad? I think we did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. We, we loved uh, I love Havad. I love Havad, too. Havad isn't the same as this Jan Murray died either. No. Yeah. The great, the great Chabad thing, I wonder if it's online. There's this clip with um, Bob Hope. Uh-huh. They went to they did the Chabad telephone, they wanted Bob Hope on because he was Bob Hope. Yeah. Yeah. They couldn't make it, so they went to give a camera to him. They, they, I think they shot him like, in his backyard in Toluca Lake. Yeah. So it's like this. Um, yeah, I don't really even to tell you about how much I love what Chabad does. Oh, no. And, and you hear somebody off camera go, Pop, it's a yeah, Chabad does, uh, raises money every year, and he goes, you can't get the name right, oh no matter what. Uh, and they, obviously, he wouldn't do a second take, so, so it's Bob Hope being about as, as white bread as Bob Hope could possibly be. <laughs> Chabad, yeah, Chabad does that stuff. Yeah, so Mazel Tov, and, oh and, and, uh, and, and then Hope have a nice Chinooka. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, I do haven't seen the answer for a lot. So, you well, know, it, it's probably coming at some point. Yes, eventually. It always does. Yes. I was at my uh, mother's uh, the hospital, my mother was, uh, in the the, the clinic whether she was in for checkup. And mm-hmm. I was talking, in the room talking to a doctor. We heard this commotion outside, yelling and, and chat, laughing and someone dancing and stuff like that. You know, and I went, what the heck is that? And he said, um, the, the doctor says, uh, that's... Um, uh, you know what that is?" And I said, It sounds like a stand-up comedian. And he says, You're close. It's Rabbi Kunin. Oh! He's a rabbi from the Chabad Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And i went, Well, I, want to, I ran out to meet I ran out to meet him. He's this charismatic, I don't know, I mean, I don't know how old he is, you can never tell these guys because they've had the gray beard since they were nine. Right. You know, like, but, it's a charming, exciting man and pleased to meet you and, and just full of energy and I just I felt better just being around the guy he was he was more he had more healing power than the doctors at this hospital (laughs) wow so okay what are we talking about next um (laughs) did you see the article about the DC Comics t-shirts that everybody's upset about no apparently Uh, DC Comics has come out with a line well where somebody it's not them because DC kind of disavowed working with these people, but somebody who had licensed the DC Comics images. Oh, our, is this is like Batman's Girlfriend? Batman's Girlfriend and Superman kissing Wonder Woman. Batman's Future s- Wife. Training or Training to be like Batman's Future Wife or something yeah. it says. Yeah. Did they, have a, did they the, have a Wonder Woman training to be Wonder Woman's Future Husband shirt? Nope. 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 And they oh, also that had... Made, that would have made it right, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> or Future Wonder Woman, you know, for somebody putting that some out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But apparently, you know, because there's been such a effort to kinda of equalize things this is looked upon sort of like a step back to have Superman kissing Wonder Woman and then like bragging about it. Or so it seems to some folks on the T shirts. So I was wondering if you'd seen that I, I just heard peripherally about it. I, I have I have trouble with with all the uh discrimination and, and racism out there that actually harms people, I have trouble I, I, I understand it's wrong but I have trouble um Generating too much interest in the the smaller mm. offenses, and I, and I probably should pay more attention because they're the roots of the larger offenses. But uh, yeah. so did either you care about the Milo Minara cover, the oh, Spider Spider-Man? Woman? Spider Woman, yeah. Oh, something sexy on a comic book cover. Yeah. Yeah, what yeah. is that a wrap? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. It, do you, it, does it seem to you like when, when we were kids, because we were not all that different in uh, our our age? there was more of an emphasis on toys in general were for boys and girls and only and and certain things could be enjoyed equally by boys and girls I remember shows like Huckleberry Hound, Yogi Bear Archie and stuff, boys and girls liked those equally and it seems like back then I remember looking at some old TV ads from like the mid-60s, boys and girls were playing with stuff together, whether it was board games or you know well, there, there, was, there was always a division because there were, you know, there were Barbie dolls and Chatty Cathy dolls. Sure, but you know, you had Hound uh, was sponsored by a cereal company, so right. so that was probably pretty, pretty, you know, all kids. Non gender specific. Uh, but but I, I don't, I don't recall too many cereals that tried to get a boy audience or a girl audience. So there, there probably was one someplace. Uh, there was one of those Barbie cereal I guess. I yeah. It seems now like there is such a clear division, almost from birth, that boys are going to go this direction and girls are going to go that direction. Boys go toward superheroes, pirates, and cars. Girls go toward princesses, ponies, and nothing else. Well, at and, and a certain age, probably. I think I I, I know some guys who are more into princesses. I think. But, yeah. Um, yeah. There's yeah, plenty I know. of bronies. Yeah, <laughs> guys are yeah. into the ponies. But yeah. I think there's there's yeah I mean there's there's you still have a lot of things that go for it. Uh, any sex? Um, uh, I don't think I have anything to say about this topic. Okay, sorry. We've banned it. Uh, can I take some uh, Twitter questions? Sure. All, right. All right. Questions from the fans. We opened up the Twitter feed earlier today, and he's actually going on Twitter at this moment. He, yeah. he always using, using his smartphone. Yes. Yeah. Smarter than, than its own. Or we used to call them mother boxes. Yeah, <laughs> it is the mother box. In fact, it's smaller and more compact than the mother yeah. box. Kirby does it again. Yes. yes. Um, uh, Sandy Zeta would like to know when you're going to start running Blackhawk again. Um, I would imagine if you could check on the uh, possibilities of, of sub-zero conditions in Hades, you would have uh, some... <laughs> inkling. No, if, if, if DC ever wanted me to go back to Blackhawk, I would sure... I liked writing Blackhawk. It was a lot of fun to do. It's fun to read. Um, I had the greatest artist I could possibly have had for it, Mm -hmm. and uh, Dan Spiegel. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. uh, Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Dan got me the job. He did? Yeah, you know, the way I got in that comic was really odd. Len Wein had been assigned to edit it. Mm -hmm. Uh, DC had to revive Blackhawk for merchandising reasons. Um, The story I heard, I'm not sure this is true, is that Steven Spielberg had optioned Blackhawk because Dan Aykroyd had told him he wanted to play Blackhawk. Oh, okay. And I asked Dan Aykroyd this, and he had a vague memory of it. One time I met him. He said, yeah, I was interested in Blackhawk at one point. I guess he said someplace, I'd love to play Blackhawk. And somebody went to D.C. and said, um, uh, oh, we want an option Blackhawk. And D.C. started when decided to start the comic up again, <coughs> hoping that no one would notice they hadn't published it in five years, mm-hmm. and they, they kept the numbering going. It was the only comic of its day that was revived and didn't have a number one. It was we, we started like number 248 or something like that. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they were going to put it out quarterly and give it to a writer, an artist, that they had under contract that they wanted to keep away from the books they cared about. <laughs> it was actually a throwaway let's put it out for merchandising reasons mm-hmm. and they had assigned a writer and artist to it and Len Wein was an editor there and he said no you'll destroy it with those people they're terrible and give it to me and let me do it monthly instead of quarterly and I'll get it give you a much better book he said fine and they were briefly going to have Mar Wolfman and Dave Cochran do it mm-hmm. at that point the people in D.C. said, look, Blackhawk's never going to sell very well. Why waste our top writer and one of our best artists <laughs> on Blackhawk? So Len now went, uh-oh, now I've stuck with it. I've got it do the book. I don't have oh, no. any on it. So he called me up and he said, who should draw Blackhawk? What artist would be perfect for it? And I said, Dan Spiegel, mm-hmm. because he can draw planes better than anybody alive. Mm-hmm. And he knows this works. And I also knew that Dan... DC didn't know what to do with Dan. They had him working for them. They were giving him mostly backup features and stuff he didn't enjoy. I thought he'd enjoy Blackhawk. So they called him up, and Len called him and said, you want to do Blackhawk? Dan didn't know what it was. He'd never seen it, but they said, it's got planes, in it. he said, okay, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. World War One planes, great, I'll, I'll draw it, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And uh, Len said, now i got to find a writer. And Dan said, well, why can't you get Mark to write it? Hmm. And I, he said if you want to I said, I said sure so Len calls me back like an hour later and he says you want to write Blackhawk?" I said yeah oh that's cool because, you got each other's job <laughs> because um, I, I, I didn't want to write anything for DC Where I'd be doing a character that I had to tie in with everybody else. If you were writing Superman, you had to coordinate with six other writers Mm -hmm. and their visions and such. Mm -hmm. And I and and they said they they told me Blackhawk's never going to sell. We're just publishing it for the sake of this this Mm -hmm. you know um, merchandising rights thing. And I said, great. Then now leave me alone. Mm -hmm. So we did the book, and um, it sold much better than they were expecting. Didn't sell great. Mm-hmm. but they, it was way above their projections and it did okay for a while until they had to raise the price on the comics mm-hmm. and at that point it, it plunged and we got off it mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it did it did all right for a while, I had fun doing it and DC was very happy with the book mm-hmm. and uh, um, the way we did that comic, which is kind of interesting uh, is I wrote the scripts, mm-hmm. I sent them to Dan, he drew them he sent the art to me. I did my lettering. I do lettering corrections myself because it's easier than specifying. I, I can forge lettering. I can letter. And I did the lettering corrections and touch-ups and whatever art touches were necessary, which were very minor. And I sent the book to DC and they went, oh, okay, we'll print it. They oh, wow. They didn't even see the scripts before it was printed. Oh, man. So they did two issues and then Len suddenly got four more books dumped on his editor. So he passed it over to Marv Wolfman it, And we did work the same way. And, and we did, like, three or four issues. Then Marv left as an editor, and they gave it to Ernie Colondin. Mm. And we did three or four more issues the same way. And then Ernie quit as an editor, and they had a meeting, and they said, "Oh, who are we going to get Black Hawk to edit now? And somebody said, well, nobody's been editing it so far. Let's let Evan here be the editor. Yeah. Oh, so I, I became the editor, and my job didn't change one bit. <laughs> 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 I was doing the exact same thing. And... Uh, so the minute it, I became editor on it, though, I suddenly started getting people submitting Blackhawk scripts to me. So, all of a <laughs> sudden people were, were writing Blackhawk, kids who wanted to be comic were writing Blackhawk scripts to to me, and I would write back to them and say, no, I'm sorry, you don't understand, you're auditioning for my job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're asking me to give you my job. <laughs> you know, and so uh, uh, but that was it. It was a fun book to do, and then we did it until it was... Uh, um, you know. It, anyway, so then they, at, one, at one point they called me up and they said we're having a little problem with Blackhawk yeah. uh, because at that point DC one of the main profit centers they had was to sell the reprint rights to their uh, comics in Germany. Germany was yeah. a very big publisher of stuff. And they said okay. they said to me. Somebody actually said to me, we don't understand why it isn't popular over there. And I said, well maybe because it's all about killing Germans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably, that makes good sense. So, uh, what? That, uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about a book you're writing now, uh, Rocky and Molecule. I I did write Rocky and Molecule. I'm not writing it now. Oh, you're we not? Did, we did four issues of it, uh-huh. uh, which was fun to do because those characters have been in my head for a long time. And I have been approached over and over again about writing new Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons. Yeah. I think I've been asked about eight times in my life oh. to wow. be, I'm, I'm once or twice hired. Mm-hmm. by people who fought wrongly they had the rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and it uh, was one time I was at, this is a true story I swear to you, this is true, Film Roman, which was the studio that produced the Garfield show, sure. the original mm-hmm. Garfield mm-hmm. show. I was at their Christmas party, and a producer came up to me, who was from another studio who was there, they invited all the competitors there. Mm-hmm. He took me aside and he said, we've got the rights to Rocky and Rolling we're going to do a primetime special on a developer we would like to be the writer for it. And I said, okay, just call my agent, and I I'd like to do it. And then June Ferre was at the party, and they went over and talked to her, and said, uh, we're going to do Rock and Ball, and we want to make sure you're available. She said, I'm ready to do it. So about half an hour later, another producer, another studio head from another studio, really unrelated, takes me aside, and he says, we've got the rights to Rocky and Bowling, nah. we want to do this thing, we want you to write it. And I mm-hmm. said, fine, okay, call my agent, and and then they went over and they found June Foray again and said, we're going to do this cartoon, and she said, fine, and she, June takes me aside and she said, is this the same project? And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> and it turned out neither one of them actually had, the, they both thought they had the rights. Weird. We did want to got the rights, and we never did it. Oh, that happened. wow! That happened actually after at, at, at that party. What a crazy drag! Well, it was. It's it, it's it's not uncommon. I have learned in this business that when people say we want to hire you to do this project, unless it's someone. There's a couple of producers who are except... Lee Mendelson, I remember, for, for years, was the exception to this. But he was about the, one of the only ones. You you, you I. You, people say to me and I think to myself oh that's great I can't wait to see how this one doesn't happen yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to see why this one's never going to happen and if you, if, you, if you tell yourself it's not going to really happen all the time you'll be right about 90% of the time yes. which, which is an acceptable percentage <clears throat> so you just you don't, you don't get your heart set on you don't start clearing the mantle for the Emmy, you know, quite immediately mm-hmm. and uh, so I anyway. mean, half the time, even after something goes, the first season, it's like, wow, is this really going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> and then you find out people love it, and it's like, uh, we're going to season two. That's yeah. whoa. We did yeah. a we did a, a Rocky an, a outline for a Rocky movie called primetime special. I involved a fellow named George Atkins I don't even know if George is still alive, but George is one of the original rockers. oh, okay. I mean, The Rocky boys, he wrote most of the most of the uh, fairy tales, I believe, mm-hmm. and he wrote some of the Rocky. Movies. And George was, like, in his 70s, I think, at the time. And he, we brought him in. I just felt like he would to involve George. Sure, and sure. He, he and another writer, and I co-wrote this outline, and then it fell through. We never got through the script. There, there, there were rights problems for years with Rocky Boyd. And then Tiffany Ward, the daughter of Jay Ward, finally spent a million bucks or so on lawyers and, and mocked up all the rights problems so she could control the property, finally. Wow. And then she sold everything to DreamWorks. Well, they, they licensed it to DreamWorks. So oh. they, they sold the DreamWorks. Uh, she's, still, she's still in charge of a certain amount of it. She's, right. she's one of the people who asked me to do the comic book. Oh, okay. So uh, When you mentioned projects that don't happen, I've had a number of what I call rainbow lunches with various producers. What do they take you to lunch? Rainbow lunches? Yeah, because you're sitting there eating like fantasy food like rainbows and with a pot of gold for dessert, it's like... We want you to do this project, and this is happening, and we're looking at you as sort of an emeritus position, coming in and being a creative head of your own division. And it's like, oh, that's great. And so you're eating rainbows and, and, and moonbeams and everything. Sitting on unicorns. And Yeah, and me. unicorn is your waiter, and you're just taking the, the food right off this horn. And you know this is like, the, the, the only thing real, and this is like the best part, is that they're usually on an expensive account, and they buy you lunch. But none of that all happens; it just evaporates. But yeah. remarkably, you still have the calories. One one of the secrets of this business is to know to know those, recognize those when it happens. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I can't tell you the number of times things these things you know people have told me we've got a firm commitment for 65 episodes. Yeah. And I think to myself, okay, they've got a connection to go pitch at some place that might buy 65. Got it. Okay. Thank you. All right. And. Uh, one of the things that's been happening to me lately, it happens like once a year, is somebody calls me up for the rights to, you know, saying, I have the rights to Jingle Bell. Now, I need a copy of your comic so I can get my writer working on it. Oh, and I guess I should pay you something for that. <laughs> I just say, call my lawyer, and... And goodbye. And that's the last I hear of it. One time, somebody called me back and said, well, your lawyer didn't have to say those horrible things to me. <laughs> and it's like, well, there you go. Goodbye. Um, good day to you, sir. Do you think we'll see more of Rocky and Bullwinkle at some point? I don't know. I, I though the comic books probably. I, think uh-huh. I don't know. Um, they were talking me about doing some more. I don't know. You, know. you know, there's there's not a marketplace for those books these days unless they're done real cheap. I didn't want to. Yeah. You, know, you, 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 you it's hard to do a good comic book real cheap. Even if you even if you decide to work cheap. And the artists—they gotta find artists that look cheap. And they gotta find colorists that look cheap, and the product becomes cheap. And, and mm-hmm. nobody looks that good in a cheap product. No. So like no uh, one looks good in a cheap suit. That's right. Well, you don't look bad today. Oh, well, I—I no! hey! myself. I just cut up an old DC uh, uh, carry-around bag from Comic-Con, and I made it into a, like a camp shirt. And uh, there you go. Um, what about Gru and uh, Conan? Uh, Gru and Conan—the fourth issue should be out shortly. The third issue just came out. Yeah. Um, we did it it's all done from our star our standpoint done, is concerned we the longest project i ever worked on in comics in my life in it least, yeah like 3 years i, I remember was, that announced like in the mid 90s or something well, it's, well it was so bizarre which is that that sergio was hospitalized at one point Mm-hmm. And in the comic book, he's hospitalized. We, we're yeah, I thought that was kind of I don't know that. his wife calls me up and says, Sergio's in the hospital. I looked down at the pages I've got in front of me, and there's Sergio in the hospital. Oh, my so, God. So it's, you know, art imitating life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or life imitating art, rather. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was just a fun thing to do, and it's done, and mm-hmm. I hope people like it. Paul E. May writes, uh, if, asks if you can do some impromptu minstrel rhyming. Oh, about what? What? I don't know, like... like talk. What, what the hell is that? is that? Is this a known skill? The, min, the minstrel is a character... Uh, uh, I know what a minstrel is. Well, the minstrel is a character in Guru. Oh. And, and he narrates stories, and he speaks in rhyme. Okay. Uh, I did the Roadrunner comic book for years, and he spoke in rhyme. Yeah. And But I didn't realize how much minstrel... How difficult it is to go through 22 pages of the minstrel rhyming everything. Yeah. So I had... Um, so I have to write these silly poems all the time and, and the, the, the nice part of it is is that just about everything in the world rhymes with "grew." Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh yeah it's a, it's a real easy word to rhyme mm-hmm. so uh, um, so I, are we going to have him do it or are we going to put him on the spot uh, uh no because um, uh no because why uh I'm trying to think of something that rhymes so I can be clever legs. <laughs> uh, no no uh, he, he, he Will not rhyme of his old accord because his beat we cannot afford. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> <if you> rhyme, <laughs> we do not like red eggs in hand. There you go. There we go. If you're going to if you're going to work to come up with rhymes, we should pay you something for that. And uh, so no working no no working free here. So all right. right. Okay. Good, <laughs> good. I'm off the hook. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Deke TV8 the Beam says: What are your wow, thoughts on the Lulabner comic? And does he feel the movie musical was a noble representation of the script? Um, I think the movie musical was a very wonderful, well the movie musical was a wonderful representation of the Broadway show, yes. by all accounts, because I, I never saw the Broadway show, but I I've got interviews so about everybody who was in it uh-huh. over the years and they all said that, so I, I trust them. The show itself, I think the show itself is quite wonderful, mm-hmm. uh, and the newspaper strip, I have a little mixed feelings about the strip. I kind of love it up to a point. Um, it's colored by the fact that uh, Al Cap was not the nicest human being in the world. Yeah. It becomes a little no. hard sometimes to, to love a strip when you know that the guy um, who did it behind it was what Al Cap was. Yeah. Which was not a, a very, it, One of the strange experiences of my life was, many strange, around 1972 or so, maybe 71, I was at this little dinner with a bunch of syndicated cartoonists, mm-hmm. guys who all were newspaper strips. Milton Kniff was one of the people at mm-hmm. And the subject of Al Cap came up. And Al Cap was notorious for, um, shall we say, molesting college girls. Okay. Um, and it was kind of this, it was like, hey, did you hear what that wacky, colorful guy did? He, he made this girl do this to him, and he tricked this girl into doing that to him. And it was almost like, like pranks. And I sat there going, aren't those sex crimes? Hmm. Wow. And then about two years, three years later, Kath had pleaded guilty to sodomy and, and had retired from his lecture tours because he was caught and outed by this stuff. Wow. Wow. And he got in enormous legal trouble and uh-huh. was a broken man and I had dinner with almost the same configuration of syndicated cartoonists. And it was like, oh what a sick man he was. Oh <laughs> he actually thought that was right to do. In other words, they had suddenly figured out that rape is not funny and, and, and wacky and, and charming. And yeah. yeah. Rape is not like a prank. You know, wow. not like a great trick to play on someone. Mm. Um, and so you know, to that extent, you know, we give people props that they learn that kind of stuff. I guess. Uh, but um, you know, you try to overlook that, and you look at the strip, and the strip was a brilliant strip in its day. It was so clever, and then, and then in the in the '70s, it got real, and un- actually even in the late '60s, it got real unfunny and preachy. Yeah. And I don't mind. You know, i I'm, I'm, a, I'm I was a right winger in the '60s, and I found it offensive. <laughs> okay, and I, I couldn't stand the other strip. I couldn't stand uh, was Little Orphan Annie. I, I am one of those people who just think Little Orphan Annie has uh, has always been an unreadable, stupid strip. I like the characters. I like the colorful idea, but the actual to read the body of those strips. I find it um, talky and preachy and indicative. Of a mindset that if you aren't rich in America there's something wrong with you because rich people are the great people. Wow. And wow. All, and they're all wonderful and and the poor people don't, are the ones who are lazy. Well, Earl mm-hmm. Grey was certainly privileged in his success. Yeah. And so. But I just find it a boring strip and, and also it's like uh, it's six weeks time for Annie to get kidnapped again. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 a little, and you know Daddy Warbucks had a few dollars. Why was she dressing like that all the time? Yeah. Yeah. Why why was she getting kidnapped all the time? (laughs) She couldn't even buy her dog a collar. Yeah. Sandy had a collar, didn't he? No, not for a long time. I mean, we might have had one eventually, but... Is there any comic strips you don't think has the uh, attention that it deserves, or that that isn't really known today that you love? paper strips? Well, the older strips, there's a, my, one of my the all-time greatest newspaper strips ever done. Almost nobody knows, but there's a hardcover book out of it called King Aru. I got it. Which is oh Great, brilliant strip, Jack King, right? Yeah, um, Jack Kemp. Kemp. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I thought that strip was so terrific and wonderful. Uh, I found one San Diego con I found a King of Original I bought this daily strip I was so mm-hmm. proud of myself when I got home I couldn't find it I think I left the maid in the hotel with a tip oh, oh. oh <laughs> no. uh, so uh, but uh, uh, what was the premise what was it was kind of a wacky kingdom with a weird king and you kind of have to see it to understand okay it. yeah um Just a a wonderful little fantasy one. The guy drew so well and so colorful. Um, I was always a fan of another strip that nobody really knew called Sally Bananas Mm -hmm. by Charlie Barsadi. I like that strip as an unknown street strip. Um, There's a strip called Conchi that many people don't remember the name named James Childress, which was a great strip. His his son, Childress, uh, committed suicide. and his, that's how his strip ended he, he he killed himself and so there was no more strip and wow. his son wrote me some years ago, he had all the originals and he went and put out a book of it and I sent it to someone who I thought would publish it and I never heard another word about that I wish someone would bring, wow. bring that book out because it was really good mat- clever material mm-hmm. um, but you know, I mean most of the great newspaper strips are known as great newspaper strips mm-hmm. like Peanuts and Congo and Crazy Cat and so on Mm-hmm. One of my favorite strips that slaps into obscurity was Gordo. Gordo was a good strip. Gus yes, Ariola. I mean, I I grew up marveling at the uh, artistry of that. And he, when the script started in the I guess the '40s, it was really of its day, where the characters were very caricatured in their dialogue and everything. Which, although Ariola himself was Hispanic, he was kind of doing what he knew, but also I guess sort of like making them more comedic to be style of the day and then he dropped that in like the mid-60s and the characters lost the accents and the artwork became a little more minimal but it was still very s- skillfully done and-, and wonderfully rendered especially the Sunday pages. I'll mm-hmm. tell you two other great strips that didn't get any attention. Most people who listen this won't have heard of them. There was a strip in the 30s called Red Berry. It was an adventure strip done by a guy named Will Gould. Oh and it was really, it was a, I think it was like the best detective strip ever. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it was a real hard-boiled, you know, before Mickey Spillane, Mickey Spillane oh, type wow. strip, and it was really colorful and fun mm-hmm. to do. A lot of fun. Another strip I always loved, it only lasted a couple of years, was a strip called Sam's Strip. Oh yeah, Bert Walker's studio did. Oh, yeah. uh, and that um, was no, sort of after hours for cartoon characters, because everybody a little Mad Magazine quality, because all other characters could come in there. Yeah, they let him use <coughs> strips of other. Char- characters about the comics would wander in and out of Wow. The, the, the funny, one of the funniest ones was, it was a one, it was one, it was a daily strip and it was one entire daily strip, one panel. And it was a dais at the comic strip characters convention. It was, it was the, the, the dinner dais. Mm-hmm. And seated at the day was all the really broad slapsticky characters in all the newspaper strips. At the center of the, the panel, uh, Sam was standing there with a, Card. He was saying, "The hotel would like me to remind you that the custard pies being served are for eating." <laughs> <laughs> it's just stuff like that. It was just, it was just silly that way. Uh-huh. One of my favorite panel strips of all time was something based on Disney's True Life Adventure. Do you remember these? Yeah, like I just, Disney. I guess they had they, they had a lot of strips running in newspapers that Donald Duck and Uncle Remus for a while, and Scamp. And this was a panel. I don't know if it was a daily or a weekly. But it was like animal facts, like birds fly south and then they fly north, you know. And it would be like one il- illustration from the Disney Studio, and it was like a basic fact about animals. Hmm. Dinosaurs were big. Now they're extinct. And like, I read it every day, and I just I devoured it because it taught you, you know, either basic or really obscure facts about animals. And uh, I, I got a compilation book of it recently, and I, I dug it up someplace online. And I, I actually have a few originals of that Huh. I always like the art, the artwork of it. Is there any uh, strips today that you like? You know, I don't really read a lot of daily strips these days. Uh, when I do, I read them all at once. I go to the uh, appropriate website and I read a month's nah. worth of Dudes. But I still love those <laughs> yeah. It's been on reruns for a while, even. Um I love Brumhilda because my friend Russell Myers does it. Oh, it, yeah. it reminds me of Russell at such a moment. <laughs> I like um, Charlie. Uh, I like. Oh, I like Mike. Mike Peters. Uh, Mother Goose and Grimm. Oh yeah, things, which mm-hmm. I felt about a bit. Uh, I like, um, you know, this, I also really admire like like the guys doing Dick Tracy now, Joe Staten. And yeah, and, that's and great people. stuff. Oh wow, and, you know, and people like that doing doing who've taken a strip. Um, I, I turned down actually at one point doing writing Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> I just didn't like the strip. and. <laughs> Um, and then people later on did some really nice stuff with it. Oh. Uh, I didn't I didn't like, never liked Harold Gould uh Carol Gray's Harold, uh, Harold, <laughs> Harold Gould. Harold Gould was Rhoda's father <laughs> uh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Harold Gould. Harold Gray and Chester Gould together. Um, you know, Harold Gould Little Gould Orphan and Tracy. One. That's right. oh yeah. But uh, um, you know, just just sitting I just uh, I I'm admire the skill of taking a, a classic property and making it interesting again. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, what's up with Pogo? I know well, the third volume of Pogo reprints is done. Mm-hmm. I, I we actually have printed a couple of printed copies. They should be on Amazon within a little couple of weeks and, mm-hmm. and delivered to everybody. And uh it's a you know, it, it, it's it is a book worth waiting for because it covers the years, this is volume three, mm-hmm. it covers the years when Simple J. Malarkey was in the strip, Wonderful. which was one of the greatest sequences ever in a newspaper strip, Yeah. Simple J. Malarkey being the, the animal version of Senator Joe McCarthy. Uh-huh. Oh. And it was when <laughs> Walt Kelly was, um, I mean, he wasn't the first guy to ever make political commentary in a newspaper strip, but he was the best. Yeah. and uh, uh, it's just a wonderful—it's a wonderful period for Pogo. Every strip in there is a gem. That was a that, whatever the whether it was Pogo papers. I think that was when it was a paperback version of it. But whenever I read that sequence, that was a revelation for me because of the simple J character and doing history on McCarthy, and the way he did it with the artistry of like when he. Malarkey gets a tar smear over him, and he looks like an executioner, it's him and the bowl, chasing each other through the swamp, and then you have Sarcophagus Macabre, the vulture, coming in to clean up the room. Right now, when I read it, I thought, this is cool, and it's kind of creepy. And yeah. the, it, it, If you read it in the paperback books, yeah. you didn't read the whole thing, because the paperbacks were truncated. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kelly used to take his daily strips, and he used to jigsaw them and throw a few out yeah. and, and make them into a new continuity. Uh-huh. And so this is the first time you'll really have a chance to read it in full good reproduction and the Sunday pages are in that book and uh, and I don't make any money off these but I just love the books Well, what is the process because you know that I mean obviously you know Carolyn very well and you've been working with her and Carolyn for those of you who don't know is awesome she's so delightful and she's gorgeous and she's wonderful and she also happens to be Walt Kelly's daughter Um, (laughs) she is that's what I heard I've been with her for 14 years she never told me she never told you you know, the very first night Carolyn stayed over at my house, I walked downstairs in the middle of the night to get some juice. And I looked down the back porch where I feed the stray cats, uh-huh. and there was a possum. No. Oh. And I thought to myself, I'm sure glad I'm not sleeping with a woman whose father did alley oop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's I just thought, I. oh, that's scary and, and, <laughs> Misty, you will pr- appreciate this. Of course I will I have a Pogo Sunday page on my wall in my kitchen and it's one where Churchy does a magic trick oh. for Mamsul Hepzibah and she screams and runs out of, uh, uh, jumps out of the boat, they're in a boat, and okay. she screams and leaves out of the boat, she's so startled by yeah. that so Carolyn was over visiting. this is early on our relationship and I did a magic trick for her. Uh-huh. And, and when, I, when, when I did the reveal of the card, she screamed, the and was ran out of, she screamed and ran out of the room. She was so startled by it. Oh, my God. And I looked up at the wall. And I went, oh, my God, we just acted out that strip. Oh, how funny. Was, and I called, brought her back in, and I showed her, look what we just did. We just, we just lived that strip here. And she goes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Did you pop your head out of your sh- out of your shirt collar holding that no. card? No, I just I just made a I just I, know, I just guessed her card uh, out of nowhere. Um uh, seemingly. <laughs> now is there would there ever be any chance for like a pogo revival and somehow like a a special or a we've talked, show We've, we've talked about it. We've talked about those things at times. Uh-huh. and you know, maybe at some point. Uh it's a very special property, you can't just do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there was a Pogo revival Caroline worked on the revival strip for right. a while, she drew it for a while and it just uh, it was very well done yes, but unfortunately it was from a syndicate that never had a hit in its life it was uh-huh. the wrong syndicate oh. um, it was a newspaper syndicate that never once had a success uh-huh. and this was one of their other things, so who knows what it would have done with a real syndicate okay um, but uh you know, it's it just... What's, what's interesting is the reaction we get to Pogo. Uh, it's, um... You know, people a lot of people don't know it, and then if somebody knows it, and I introduce Carolyn, they go, oh my God, and, you know, the presence of greatness. Right. At the funeral for Rosalind Kirby, I introduced Carolyn to Jack Kirby's daughters, and I thought, here we have the DNA of the greatest superhero artist in the world, mm-hmm. meeting the DNA of the greatest funny animal artist who ever lived. Uh-huh. And if we could somehow... Fuse two together, we could grow a new Wally Wood. <laughs> 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 Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> now, do you have anything to do with the comic book reprints that are done? No. The, oh, okay. Did we talk about his new book that's out? No, we haven't. You haven't even talked about your book. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. Simon Ooh. and Kirby. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> He's got so many. Um there's a new book that's coming out shortly i have a copy of that so i know it exists Mm -hmm. called the art of the simon and kirby studio Mm -hmm. joe simon and jack kirby were a team from 19 approximately 1940 to 1957 or 58 Mm -hmm. and they did a lot of comics together and some of them they drew together and some of them they drew apart and some of them they hired other artists to draw and joe simon in his declining years, had um, cri- piles and piles of original art from those books, mostly the later ones. When I did my book on Jack Kirby a few years ago, I decided I wanted to print a story on it, and I, and I got the okay from Joe, who didn't quite understand why I wanted to do it. I think, to print a fighting American story off the original art. Mm-hmm. Warts and all showing the erasures and the paint stuffs and the whiteouts and you can see the pencil, you know, underdrawing here and mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we printed it and when Joe saw it he said, Oh, I get it now. Yeah, this is very interesting. To to, to have to bring you closer to what the artist actually did. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't have the color taking away from it, the poor printing taking away mm-hmm. from it. You could actually see everything the actual artist did. Mm-hmm. And um, he said we should do a whole book like that because i got got these piles of original art. And I said, great. And then Joe got sick and he passed away. And a year or two later, uh, Charlie Kochman, who was the editor of my Kirby book, And who is awesome. Who is awesome. Yes. Called me up and he said, the Joe Simon estate wants to do that book. They want you to edit it. The Jack Kirby estate wants that book. They want you to edit it. You're going to edit it. Wow. Okay, I guess I don't have a choice. So, we put it together. We did not have as much of the early stuff as I wanted to. It's mostly the stuff from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Boys' Ranch pages alone are worth the price of it. Hurrah! I love Boys' Ranch. Yeah. Uh... And, and it's a, I don't know, I don't remember how many pages it is. It's a pretty thick book. It's not original art size. Okay. Because there are such books out like that, and mm-hmm. they're beautiful to look at, but... Have you ever tried to store any of those books? Or they're for that there. matter, sit there and read them. And I try to use mostly um, complete stories. There's a few loose pages and a few a lot of covers, but I try to use mostly complete stories so you could actually read the story because I think the genius of Simon and Kirby is not in the pictures, it's in the storytelling. Mm-hmm. The yeah. way they would tell a story. and I, I felt like you had to see whole stories. To really appreciate what they did, sure. And um, it's coming out soon. And if you, you know, if you love Simon or Kirby or both, and Evanier. Well, I'm not. I I actually made them stop at the last minute. I I saw proof that they had the spine. Said Simon, Kirby, Evanier. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not in this book. I'm just just the guy who wrote the intro. Take my name off that because that's very modest. No, no, it's not even modest. It's just like I thought people would say. He thinks he's the equal of those guys? No, but I, I wouldn't have said that. I would think that if you edited the book, then that's why they put your name there. Nobody buys it for the editor of a book like that. Well, nobody would be buying the book if not for you. Yes, they'd buy the book if not for me because somebody else would have put together the same exact pages. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> they Smart. wouldn't have thought to do or, it. Or, look, it's, you know this. it is? It's like the Baskin Robbins. I have a theory for Baskin Robbins, okay? okay? Okay, you go to Baskin Robbins, and there's a guy there who's got. Um, you know, ice cream, and he's got whipped cream, and he's got chocolate syrup, and he's got strawberry syrup, and he's got marshmallows, and he's got nuts, and mm-hmm. he's got all these things, and it doesn't really matter which ones you put together, it's going to be good. <laughs> There's no combination of that stuff that's going to stink, right? <laughs> you know? So you can put a banana in or not put a banana in, you can put the syrup underneath the ice cream, you can put the syrup over the ice cream, it doesn't really matter. Whipped cream, leave it off, leave it on, it's still going to be good. Okay. Somebody gives you a pile of Simon and Kirby original art to put a book together with. Any combination is going to work out. I disagree. Also, Is Mother you're... Delilah going to be in there? Yes, it is. Yes! yes! Printed off the original art. Best story ever. Not just by Simon and Kirby, by anyone. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really. It's well, like it's a wonderful story. It was Jack's favorite story He worked on for a long time. Years sad. later, we had a few other favorites, but for a long time, if you ask Jack, what's the favorite, favorite story of Jerusalem said Mother Delilah? Yeah, that's right up there as far as great comic book stories with uh, Christmas for Shacktown or um, by Carl Barks or in, 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 or anything you or I wrote. Yes, so yes, ask. of course, of course. Um, we have a question from some weirdo here. Well, oh, that's really great. Paul, want to that, not, that, that out of guy named Neil Neil Gaiman? Who's that? Never, uh, No, Neil Adams. I yeah, Neil Adams. Oh yeah, oh he's great. Yeah, Neil Adams. Oh, yeah. Is great. Uh, there must be some fanboy Neil Gaiman. Yeah. yeah, Neil Gaiman. He's. You know. Oh, he's married to that lady. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. Mrs. No, Gaiman. Yeah, the musician. Yeah, yeah okay. That wonderful ukulele player. That's right. That's right. George Formby? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that would be that would be a little twisted. Too much? Oh. Yes. Okay. Uh, Mr. Neil Gaiman, whatever that is, says. Uh, does he still dislike broccoli slaw too? <laughs> broccoli slaw. That's, I guess that's the British. <laughs> <broccoli slaw. laughs> I, I dislike broccoli. Uh, I dislike coleslaw, and and I the. I can't the, the imagine putting the two of them together. Is <laughs> <laughs> making me too ill to go out. Of this <laughs> at this point, you're sort of disliking. I'm <laughs> not talking about Neil <laughs> now. <laughs> Neil he probably eats candy corn. (laughs) And I'll tell you a Neil Gaiman story next week. Oh good, we'll come back and we'll talk about Neil a little bit. All All right, we'll see you next week, you guys. Come back for some Neil Gaiman stories. Bye. This has been another episode of Radio Rashi. If you've enjoyed this episode, let everyone know by leaving a review in the iTunes store. It's a great way to help others find us. You can also leave comments on RadioRashi.com, Facebook.com, forward slash RadioRashi, or follow us on Twitter at RadioRashi or at Paul underscore Dini to leave us questions. Thanks for listening and tell your friends.